Good morning. Happy New Year, Radiant. Great to be together. If you've got a Bible, could you turn to the book of Ephesians? Today we're going to be doing, uh, starting a little mini-series, four weeks long, called Who Do You Think You Are? And um, I think one of the most kind of uh, common and actually profound questions that any of us as humans can ask ourselves is, who am I? Who actually am I? And from an early age, whether you realize it or not, every single one of us have been asking ourselves that question. And answering that question by choosing one or many different identities or labels that the world has to offer. Who am I, actually, whether we realize it or not, is perhaps one of the most fundamental questions that drives the whole of the human race. I would be as bold as to say that. No matter where you're from, no matter what country you're from, no matter what generation you're from, This question of who fundamentally am I is a very deep question. And actually, it's a good question. I don't believe it's a bad question at all. I think it's hardwired into us as humans to ask ourselves that question. So for me, growing up, I think when I look look at my life, um, when I was young and at elementary school, I probably... If I was to answer the question of who am I, I probably would have chosen a label, something like the funny one, believe it or not. I would have actually, I I remember my elementary school years just being marked more by laughter than anything. When I was little, I probably would have worn the label, I'm the funny one. And then when I was 11, I uh, surprisingly got a scholarship to a very prestigious uh, boys' school, uh, which meant the fees were waived or paid by someone else. And so from that moment into my uh, high school, at this very posh boarding school, I, I, I kind of changed labels, and I probably unconsciously would have called myself the clever one, the performing one, the achieving one, the special one. Uh, at the same time, another label crept in, in answer to that question of who am I? Who is Tom Shaw? My skin exploded with acne, my hair went from just pretty weird to just crazy weird. I had very thick glasses, I had profound negative self-image. And so actually, the label I also would have worn secretly, as well as the clever one, was the ugly one, the, the unattractive one. And then I went and took a gap year before going to university, and I learned to snowboard, and I smoked lots of pot, and I became like a hippie. And I probably would have then started to wear the, a big label in this, in this part of the world, which is like the laid-back one. That's the label. Who am I? I'm the guy who never gets bothered. Everything's cool. Every, you know, that, that, that's predominatingly the thing that is marking success. success. Success for me is that I never get bothered, you know? It's, it's what pervades much of the surf culture, the skateboard culture, the snowboard culture of I'm just laid back. That's my identity. And this, this process carries on throughout your life. So some of you here will be wearing the label, I'm a mum. That's actually my identity. I am a mum. Uh, or I'm a dad. Or I'm a lawyer. I'm a teacher. Or I am, I am my daddy's favorite daughter. I'm the pretty one. I'm the ugly one. I'm the athletic one. I'm the funny one. I'm the clever one. You see, throughout our lives, this question of who am I 
comes through a myriad of different, uh, different sources. It's hardwired into us to ask, who am I? And the world is only too quick to offer us a whole host of different labels to choose from. Our teenagers right now and our kids, they are growing up in America with a host of different worldly labels to pick, which they will then wear unconsciously, even from a very, very young age. Even as we grow up in families where we love each other, I can see it with my kids. They're already wearing labels. They're, oh, this is the thing I'm good at. This is the thing that's going to mark me out. The problem is... Although the question itself, I think, is a very good one, who are we? The problem is this. The solution that the world gives us, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the big three enemies, is that they lead to at least a couple of things. If the label that you have picked is a label that you deem as good, something good, I'm the, I'm, out of all my kids, I was the golden child. That's actually true. That's a label I wore. My brother was wild. My sister was wild. I was the stable one. I will take, <laughs> thank you, I will take responsibility. I will be the calm amidst the storm of the Shaw family. And I wear that, pro- and I, and I wear that label, and this is what happens. When I feel like I'm achieving it, pride. Okay? First sign is pride. Is pride a big deal? You bet. Pride is the big one. God says he does what to the proud? He loves the proud. Well done for believing in yourself. No, no, he says, I oppose the, pr- the proud. So this is really serious. The first, the first negative, if you're wearing a worldly label and you think you're succeeding in it, is the potential for pride, the self-made man or woman. Okay? Secondarily, the other option, if you're wearing a worldly label, if you feel like you're not achieving it, you're not sustaining it, is what? Despair slash condemnation. You see, that is the mark of anyone who is, you may say you're a Christian, but functionally, emotionally, if I was to watch your life for a week and get into your soul, what's actually happening is this. Pride, despair. Pride, despair. Pride, despair. Because the labels the world gives us are not only rubbish or trash, as you would say, But they come and they go depending on our performance. This is serious. I'll tell you why. Because no matter if you're in the proud camp today or whether you're in the despairing camp, there is one pervasive thing that happens to all of us when you're wearing these labels functionally is this. Exhaustion. Exhaustion. Striving. At a fundamental level. A ongoing, pervasive heaviness, a weariness. Yes, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and da 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 and you want that. But actually, really, when we look at our lives, the effect of wearing these labels functionally, the things that your dad spoke over to you in love, the thing that happened to you and you never realized, but that became your label. When you carry that label, the world's label, you pendulate between pride or despair. And either way, it's exhausting. And we need a fundamental revolution of our souls, friends. This isn't something we can just try and avoid. We need a fundamental, total different way of approaching our entire existence. It's as serious and massive as that, I would say. And you know, friends, if you have been here for a little while, if you're, if you're a Christian here today, 
or even if you're not a Christian, you can probably guess what the preacher's going to say. The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news, the tremendous news, the breathtaking news that there is absolute hope to break free from the exhaustion of pride and despair and pride and despair and to actually functionally live free. It is worth, even in January, when it's all a bit gloomy, booming from the rooftops to Visalia, to Larry, Exeter, and to the ends of the earth. This is why Jesus Christ came. He didn't come to just tweak our self-improvement. He came to make a way through the Red Sea of wearing labels that lead to pride and despair and exhaustion. It's the gospel. But here's the twist. I can even feel it in the room. You know that's true in theory. And you, and you want it to be true in practice. But if you're anything like Tom Shaw, if you're really honest, there is a little bit, maybe a really big bit, of difference between the theory and actually the reality of your life. Anyone, anyone here brave enough to say, yeah, I agree with you, Tom. That is, that is actually true for me. I do feel like pride and despair in one form, condemnation, comparison, do mark me out. How, how, how do I actually get the gospel of who God is and what God has done and who he's made me to be? How do I get the gospel, which is, you could say, the good news of an absolute truckload of glorious new labels, beautiful, staggering identity given through the work of another to us that should change us forever? How do we actually get that to be effective in our lives on a Monday morning when we don't feel particularly holy and we're very tempted to wear the labels that in the moment we think will help us. Oh, I'm the one with the amazing house. I'm the one who's organized. So if I just keep trying hard to do that, that will hopefully make me feel like my label is bringing me some kind of, some kind of significance. So there's the problem. That's what the world offers. We have to be rescued from it. The gospel is the rescue, but how actually practically can we live in that, Tom? And I want to share with you Bear with me. I want to share with you a box. Now, this is a visual tool that I actually shared at Man Camp, but there was such a uh, response of, this is really helpful, that many of the men said, we need to share this with the entire church. Because this, uh, if we've got the next, um, next slide up, the solution, my friends, to rejecting the worldly labels and to living in the good of God's labels is where we want to get to. And these next four weeks, we're going to do something very simple. We're going to look at the book of Ephesians, and we're just going to pick four glorious labels, identities, that the Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus, this is actually who you are. Truer than anything else you want to make about yourself. Truer than any other label you might be tempted to wear. We're going to look at four, and in fact, I think on your way out, you can grab a little bookmark, can I have a woo? A bookmark, all right, thanks, one of you. Um, thanks, Kat. Uh, with not only the box, which I'm going to explain in a moment, but the four labels that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at. And our prayer is, over these next few weeks, is that rather than the new year being a time of endless resolutions where you try really, really, really hard, is that actually you would start to live in the good of who God says you are now, if you're a Christian. So what's this box got to do with it? Well, it has been argued a great preacher and theologian, really, called Jeff Vanderstelt. He made the point that 
there is a fourfold flow of Scripture. A fourfold, fourfold, that's a tongue twister, a fourfold flow of Scripture that you nearly always see. And once you've seen this, you go, oh yeah, I never noticed that. And you see it starts in the top left. Um, actually, it would be helpful to have numbers in those boxes for future reference if we can, just to say. So, <laughs> so it starts top left, who God is, then goes down to what God has done, and then so often we see box three, top right, who we now are, and the final box of what we now do. Again and again in Scripture, it actually starts with the label of who God is, His identity. When you read this book, the way that we can be free from exhaustion, pride, and despair starts actually with who God's label is. Again and again, you'll see the Bible is at great pains to tell us who the Christian God is. That although you want to spend your life thinking all about yourself, actually one of the great tricks and glories of becoming a Christian is you get your eyes off yourself. And that is the wonder. It starts with who God is. But then it flows from that so often out of his identity into box two, which is then what God has done. Because God is fundamentally kind and good, box two means he has acted. He's sent his only son to come and rescue an evil world. You see, because of who God is, it so often flows into then what God has done. But then it it inevitably flows into box three, which you could kind of call our labels box. The place we're really going to camp over these next uh, four weeks is because of who God is and what God has done, for those who have been born again, our box three identity will never be the same again. Who we now are, children of God, adopted, redeemed, heirs, the list goes on. And, and then finally, box four is now what we do. Now let me ask you this question. In that scenario I painted at the beginning, where in your life you're wearing the labels that the world gives you, this is what actually is practically happening. You're living in a kind of box three, who you are, right? I'm almost tempted to name people to make it really personal, but I won't. But you know what I'm saying. You, what are the labels that you're wearing now, right now? Oh, I'm the grandparent. That's my main label. I'm the provider. I'm the stable one, whatever it might be. You live in box three, right? And the labels of the world are both absolute trash, ultimately. They're fine, but they're nothing compared with what the Bible says about you. But also, and here's the real killer, is that functionally to keep those labels alive in you, what happens is your whole life is about box four. Practically, your whole life actually becomes about your activity. That is why in so many churches, what you'll mainly hear are preachers about what you need to do. What you, and people, oh, I just want to be really practical. Give me stuff to do. Well, there is stuff to do. But actually, the fundamental freedom comes from understanding the fourfold gospel of who God is, number one, and what God has done, glorious, and then number three, who we now are by grace because of what he's done, because of his hard work, because he went to the cross, because he was in, he was cursed so that we would be blessed. He rose from the dead. We didn't do that, amen? Because of who God is and what God has done, we simply receive 
glory upon glory of label upon label, identity upon identity from the beloved heart of God that we have done nothing to deserve or earn. And what should happen in the Christian life is actually fundamentally, more and more, you're not living in box four of what I need to do. Oh, well, I need, if, I, if this is my identity, I need to work harder. My life is actually marked by much more box four than anything else. That's one of the greatest traps that the world lives in. Let me ask you this question. Where are you living today? Really, is your life, is it, is it totally lopsided, box four, man or woman? Is it that actually so much of your life is functionally about what you do? Really, just think about it for a moment. Let the Holy Spirit just let you assess your life at the start of this year. Now, listen, we do do stuff, amen? I know I'm talking to an activist nation here. I realize I'm touching a holy, sacred cow. Tom, are you saying we don't do stuff? No! I'm not. Please don't kill me. What I'm saying is, friend, is is it possible that the weight of Scripture at a large scale is gloriously, fundamentally about somebody else and what he has done and what he says about you and you, and you, 10,000 times more than what anyone else says. Yourself, your parents, your peers, what was said at school, or in your workplace, or whatever it is. That's where we're going over these next few weeks. And so, I just want to just dive in today with Ephesians. We could spend a long time looking at this, because it's so deeply ingrained in all of us. This, this box tool thing, because pr- I'm a visual learner, so I find things that are visual really helpful. And what I'm trying to say is this, how many of those boxes are overtly about God? Well, they kind of all are, but certainly the first three are overtly about God. And my prayer, friend, is that over these next few weeks that you would increasingly, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, allow Him to restore wonder and joy where there is exhaustion because of pride or despair that bit by bit by bit, as you realize and actually live in the good of who he says you are, because of who he is, because of what he's done, that you and I would start to rejoice. Hallelujah. I've, I've felt this ever since I prayed for this church, that the Lord wants to restore and increase joy all across this wonderful family. I feel it with my heart. I can't get away from it. And joy comes from knowing God, knowing him. Knowing what he's done. Knowing who you are. It doesn't come any other way. It doesn't come ultimately from getting the desires of your heart, box three, whatever that might be. And then you spend your life like a hamster on a wheel with box four living. "Ah, I'm fine. I'm great. I'm really enjoying life. I don't know. I'm not actually at all. But I'm keeping my little label three going. I pray that God in his grace will rip that false label off. If you, I, I, I'm all, it's almost more dangerous when you get that label. You know, when you, well, I'm going to be a successful businessman. And, oh no, your business goes well. Now, I, I know God blesses us, but do you understand, if this fundamental foundation isn't in place, what happens is, functionally, you can live as if you are a master of your own destiny. And your life is all boxed forward, my friend. It is. And you are just living, living, living. This is who I am and this is what I do. Oh yes, Jesus has been so helpful, but really. And God wants to restore. Like I almost see some scales. He wants to just 
Put some huge, beautiful weight. The weight, you know the word glory means weight. His glory to be in the church. The weight of who he is, what he's done, who we now are. Some of you have had horrible lives, horrendous lives. And the glory of God is that now in Christ, man, you are more than a conqueror. That you are a beloved one. Well, let's actually look at what Paul says rather than me just paraphrasing. Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Okay, Label number one this week, I want us to look and slightly combine three statements that he's just given us here from box three that are all very similar. And because of time, we're going to put them all together this week. Saint, holy, and blameless. They are subtly different, but basically very, very similar. Friend, this is amazing. Is that the Bible tells us, this is Paul writing to a very faulty church. Later in this book, he goes on to say, says to them, stop lying to each other. Murderers, stop murdering. Let the thief no longer steal. He's talking to bad people, many of them. They're not great people. Like when he talks to the churches in Corinth or the churches in Galatia, they are very normal people. And the very first label he says to you, O Radiant, if you know Jesus, is that you are a saint. I'll try that again. (laughs) Your fundamental identity is as a saint. Now that really is good. I'm not going to whip you up. Don't worry. You can can get there in your own time if you want to get excited. You see, the reason some of you aren't excited is because you think you're a sinner. You think you're a sinner. And I accept that even in the book of James, it calls them sinners. But my conviction and the conviction of many, many men and women who are far cleverer than me is that the overwhelming, overwhelming majority of the New Testament addresses Christians as saints. That your fundamental identity is as a holy one, as a saint, as someone who is blameless. Now, you may have been three years old when you became a Christian. You may have been 83 And you may not have felt an awful lot happened. But the Bible says that your first box three identity that you and I need to live in is that we are saints. We are holy ones. What's it mean to be uh, holy, to be a saint? Well, very simply, it means that you are unstained. It means that you are good enough. For those of you with a performance mentality, that you're good enough, that you are someone now who is, as it were, separated from the rest of the world at a fundamental level, and you now belong to someone else. To be a saint, to be fundamentally called a saint, is so countercultural, I would even say, even in much of the church of this great nation. It sounds scandalous, doesn't it? We want, to, we want to say, oh, I'm, just a, I'm a rubbish Christian. Oh, I'm such a mess. It sounds terribly holy. 
I'm just full of rubbish. And I'm not denying there may be a lot of rubbish in your life. But is that what the Bible actually says is your identity? Is it, is, does the Bible say that because God is kind and God sent his only son to die and to rise from the dead and to send the Holy Spirit, is the summation of all of God's greatest work, which many say his act of redemption is even greater than his act of creation, for God to create the world, he spoke. For God to create a single person born again, he had to die and rise again. Is it fair to say that the Bible says the great, the great consummation, the great uh, result of everything that he has worked unbelievably hard to achieve is a complete mess who is just always prone to sin and never ever going to live in victory in their life? Is that true? I would dare to say I do not believe that is what the Bible fundamentally says. I believe, of course, at times we sin. I'm absolutely in agreement with you. One John says, if you pretend you don't sin, you're deluded. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, as we'll see in a minute, there is a huge difference between your very identity and what you sometimes do. I love what the uh, commentator, Mark Seyfried, says in this big chunky commentary. He says this, he says, why is it so wonderful? Um, uh, is, he says this, well, first thing I'd say is this actually before I talk about him. In the Old Testament, the, the idea of being holy and things being holy, normally uh, things were called holy. Uh, buildings like the temple and the tabernacle were sometimes called holy. Time was sometimes called holy. The Sabbath was known as a holy time. And the fourth thing was God himself. The main thing you see in the Old Testament that things were holy were those four things. Rarely would you find it describing people. God is holy. This day is holy. This place is holy. These objects are holy. And then when you come to the New Testament, what has happened? It's like because of the life of Jesus and the work of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, suddenly the great apostle Paul no matter what mess these people are in, there's this explosion of glorious holiness, 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 holiness. I'm a complete mess, Paul. You haven't seen my life. I don't care because of who God is and what God's done. You are forever holy. It's this extraordinary explosion of widespread holiness, which actually is scandalous to every other religion of the world. Do you know that? The other religions of the world agree with us when we say God is holy. Yes, Allah Akbar, God is holy. Okay? For us as Christians to say, but now we believe we are holy. <gasps> what? That's why Christians get killed sometimes. Do you understand? This is scandalous stuff. To say that we have been made as righteous as Jesus, as it says in 2 Corinthians. He became sin so that we would receive the righteousness of Christ. What? This is, this is crazy talk. Have you seen my week, Tom? Have you seen how much I've failed? This is amazing. So you see this explosion of widespread declaration of holiness across all these churches. You can't get away from it. It says this. He says, uh, this is Paul's most frequent designation of Christians, the term by which he most often greets them in the prescript of his letters. The expression, I love this, the expression holy ones recalls a series of biblical texts that locate the holiness of God's people in the redemptive action, listen, of who? Of God. They are called holy because of the action, box two, of God, who 
in saving them takes possession of them. Therefore, I love this, while holiness includes moral purity, it signifies something larger and greater, the wonder of being made God's own in the whole of our body and life. Do you understand that? You think of the word holy and you go, I'm going to be excited about being called a saint. I'm going to be excited about being holy. You think of this word as this cold thing about, oh, you know, sort of, I don't know, just, I, I certainly did for most of my life. And as I read around it and realized, actually, no, the word holy, it's a relational word. A husband is separated from every other woman, and he is holy unto his bride. Hallelujah! Now, this is great news! God is saying, in the Old Testament, for hundreds of years, a few things were holy. And because of the work of my son, every Christian now is made holy unto me, my beloved. Nothing can ever separate you ever again, no matter what label you choose to wear. It is ridiculous when, when I have done all things to give you the great label, which is you yourself are holy. And you are holy through intimacy with me. You are holy because of who you belong to. Oh my goodness. I just pray this will go into our hearts. You live so much of your life wanting the approval of others. You want to belong to them and they will either accept you or reject you and you spend your life doing this. Stop it! You belong to God, friend. Woo! No, no, this is, this is worthy of praise. I know it's strange seeing an Englishman get very excited. This is the gospel. I don't get excited about many things. I get excited when it starts to go from my thick head into my heart. This is amazing because of who he is. Nothing to do with what I've done. I could be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. I could have very little box for action. I could just be paralyzed. But because of who he is and what he's done, he declares me as holy as the temple, as holy as anything else. He says, you're mine. You're mine. And, and I want to say this, it's not just glorious because of the quality of this label. I mean, man, oh, it's also glorious because of the fact that it's secure. That's almost even more glorious. You see, to feel that, whatever label the Spirit's been saying, you're wearing this, I'm an amazing mother, he will give you crazy kids. He will do it in love, and you will work your bottom off. In box four, you will work really hard. And God will just go, no, because that's a label that's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. So you can work, work, box four, until you get to the end of yourself. And then you say, do you know what? I'm an average mother. And I love my kids, but they're crazy. But God, I am still a saint. I'm still a holy one. I'm still good enough. I am being re prepared for glory. This moment is just a blink of an eye. And for all eternity, I'm going to be with my papa, with my dad, who has done everything to secure me and him. That's your identity. And it frees you to be average. It, what? Yes. Oh, my goodness. How many buttons can I press in one go? I love it. Beep, beep, beep. Press the buttons. <laughs> press those buttons. He, I haven't got time to read him out here, but he basically says it's a gift of God. He says, he's, he's saying, when Paul writes to, for example, the Corinthians, and he calls them holy ones, at the same time, members of that church are sleeping with their mothers-in-law. What? Quiet in the room. But Paul doesn't say, most of you are. He says, because of who God is and what God's done, your identity, listen, your identity 
does not change depending on your behavior. It doesn't. You don't stop being a child of God. You don't stop being holy, ultimately, even when you muck up. It's amazing. Now, of course, God wants to grow us in ongoing holiness. But the gift of your identity as forever a holy and chosen and blameless one is forever secure. Now, what does this mean practically? What it means is, first of all, you and I can start to walk free from performance. You can actually do it. I prophesy that over you this week. Even this week, your version of how you try and perform, even though God's already given you the greatest identity, how you try and add your own little label to it, even this week, the Holy Spirit, even now, He will be saying to you and showing you, where is it that you are carrying unnecessary anxiety and exhaustion because you want to perform? Just this week, one of my beautiful daughters, just getting ready to go to school, and as we got in the car, like she was just carrying this weight because she had a maths test coming up. And I could just see it on her. And I was like, darling, darling, you do your best. But your identity is not in being a mathematician. Do you understand? Like, I want her to do great. And we work hard with her, you know? Don't worry. You're like, I'm still with you, Tom. I haven't totally rejected. No, we, we want her to be outstanding. There we go. See? I do love you. But... The truest identity is not how good she is at maths. Do you understand? And in those seconds before I closed the door on the car, I was in my heart going, God, get it into her heart at a young age that she's not defined by how she does in a maths test. Because that is the lie that is being pumped out from everywhere in the world in a million different forms. Perform, perform, perform. And so we live under exhaustion and pride. And instead, God wants to restore joy. He wants to bring joy. So it frees you to perform, from performing. It also frees you from despair when you feel like you failed. Just this last week, I was at a student 20s event, and I'd preached. And I uh, came out afterwards, I was talking to the, the host of the, of, the, of, the, of the conference. He was like, oh, thanks, Tom, that's great. He said, there's a guy preaching on Sunday, and oh my goodness, he is just unbelievable. He's a young dynamo, early 20s, super hip, and the power of God is on this man. I'm so excited about him preaching. In that moment, his enthusiasm for this other man, involuntarily, what's the, what emotion can you shout out? It's, you'd have to be a rocket. What emotion do you think I involuntarily felt? Dis, well, despair. I, it just came on me like a wave. And I, and I was, whoa, what's happening? Why am I feeling that? I tell you why I'm feeling it. Because I'd already started to wear the label of best preacher. Do you understand? That's my pathetic confession to you. Even though I know this stuff, but here's the good news. I spotted it. Whoa, sank into me. Despair. Get off me. There is now no condemnation in Jesus. And I bless you, God, for Jerome. And I pray your triple anointing on that young man. I really do. I don't need to be a preacher. I don't need to ever preach again. I don't need to lead again. I don't need to do anything ultimately again apart from receive the grace and the kindness of my Father. Because he says, I am good enough. So here's, I mean, it's glorious. It's glorious. So let me just finish with this one question, just to, before we worship. How? How can this be true? How can it actually be true? And this is, uh, <laughs> this is just so wonderful. It's because the reason that I can be so bold and confident that my identity ultimately now is safe and secure, and it is not driven up and down by box four, is actually because all the focus of eternity is actually on somebody else. Isn't that amazing? 
The reason I'm so secure that I am good enough is because the focus of eternity is actually fundamentally on somebody else. In the Old Testament, when you sinned, you had to bring your very best lamb, okay? You had to scrabble together your pennies and buy the best lamb that you could. And the whole point was that lamb had to be blameless. Same word, blameless. Had to be holy. It had to be worthy. It had to be immaculate. And what would happen is you, you'd come along and you'd come to the priest. You'd say, hi, Mr. Priest, I'm afraid we've sinned. And it was a bad one this week. It was really awful. But here's the lamb. Thank you. Thank you for the lamb. That's great. No, no, can I just add, we really just want to say we feel terrible. Like, I feel like I've really failed, and I'm just a nightmare. No, 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 I heard you, I heard you the first time. It's fine. I'm just looking at the lamb now. It's fine. Um, no, 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 I just want to add, I'm just not worthy to be here. I shouldn't be here. I'm a mess. I am just failing in this way. You know, my house was untidy, and uh, I shouted at the kid. Yeah, no, no, I heard you the first time you said you had sinned. I'm looking at the lamb. Do you understand? Where was the focus of the priest? Was it on how much you were really, really sorry and how many things you could identify that you'd failed? Or was the focus of the priest actually, the moment that that was handed over, the the focus of the priest was on the lamb and he was checking the legs and he was checking the hair and he was checking the body. Is this lamb good enough? Is this lamb good enough? It is good enough. And you see, when Jesus went to the cross, he was the lamb who was good enough. The focus of eternity is not on us. The focus of eternity is not on how much we say, I need to be better, I should try harder, I've got another confession to make, although confession is fine. The focus of the, of, the, of the priest and eternity was always on the Lamb. And at Calvary, the ultimate glorious place where we can take our refuge, we point to the Lamb and we say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb was good enough. Jesus was immaculate. Jesus was perfect. And so every time we come in trying to either perform, we, God says, lovingly, get down. My son's performed brilliantly, perfectly. And every time we're like in the mud, despairing, he's like, get up. My son's sufficient for you. The focus of the priest was on the Lamb. Hallelujah. The focus of eternity will be on the Lamb. The focus of this church is on where? The lamb, it's always on the lamb. Let's stand to our feet, shall we? Can we worship? You see the great irony of the gospel. We come with our labels. We come with our heads on ourselves. And even today, what I want us to do, okay, listen. I'm going to count to three. And if the number one label, maybe it's the one who's powerful and significant. Maybe it's I'm the, the label I've got is I'm in control. The label is I'm approved and I'm liked. Whatever that label is, I'm going to count to three. And I want you to join with me in a truly radiant, raucous manner in shouting out to your wonderful God all together with one voice, every label you can think of <laughs> that you're either wearing now or that you have worn in your past. I want us to, to lift our voices before we worship the one who says, receive, receive my true label for you. I want us to almost just go, ah, there it is. I reject that label. And then as we worship, I'm in faith that the Spirit of God is going to remind us of the great label that you are a saint, you are holy, you are joined to Jesus forever, and his holiness has been granted to you. He was cursed, so you would be blessed.